Welcome to Nicosia Uncut, produced and presented by Andromahi Sophocleus and Kemal Baikal. A 180-degree shift in the Republic of Cyprus foreign policy, moving from sanctions to confidence-building measures with a change in foreign affairs minister. In the meantime, Turkey is trying to enhance its profile within the context of the Ukraine crisis. And against the odds, long queues at the crossing points continue. Hello, Andromahi. Hello, Kemal. How are you? Thank you. Since our last podcast, we have developments, naturally. We have had a change in the Republic of Cyprus foreign ministry. We also had the Turkish Cypriot elections completed and the parties are still trying to set up, establish a new coalition. But it's also important to mention that uh, we have started to hear confidence-building measures uh, regarding the Cyprus problem. So I think maybe we can start with the confidence-building measures. What are they? Who proposed them? Is it really a thing or is it it just, um, let's say, a gossip? Or is it more, uh, less official? Is it behind the scenes? What's the stance on that? What's the latest on that? No, no, it's nothing. uh, It's not a rumor. It's not gossip. It is, uh, I mean, it has been suggested. It has been um, stated by both President Anastasiadis and current uh, Foreign Affairs Minister, Mr. Kasulidis, Ioannis Kasulidis. One of their suggestions is for all works on Varosha to halt and for Varosha to be placed under UN administration in exchange for the Erjan unrecognized airport to be turned into an international airport and put under the authority of the United Nations. Um, this is a, um, a confidence-building measure that has been discussed for many years. It was put on the table in the past as well, but its complexity is such that it, it never reaches uh, fulfillment. And there are a lot of issues regarding recognition, as you can understand, of who will be uh, sort of seen as the country in which um, the airport will be will be operating. Uh, having said that, I think it is also important to stress that the discussion on uh, th- this discussion, in my opinion, could have been uh, interesting or useful 10 or 15 years ago. But today, when everyone involved in the negotiations had admitted that um, the sites had reached the step before a solution, I believe that opening this uh, chapter, is it, it will not work. Personally, I do not even think that the Turkish Cypriot leadership is in any case interested in discussing the issue. I don't know what uh, your view on this is. Uh, but I mean, um, as far as we know... Since Tatar, the Turkish Cypriot leader has openly said that they are not interested in this confidence-building measure. I think that this great and long-arching and over-ambitious uh, confidence-building measures require a lot of political will in order to be to be put in practice and in motion. And uh, as we have often discussed, you know, CBMs are kind of um double-edged sword in the sense that okay you have them you enforce them but instead of they also create comfort exactly exactly well you know i think um since uh, the election of mr tatar i think it 
will not be realistic to talk about uh, a Turkey Cypriot initiative or Turkey Cypriot voice anymore. I think he is just uh, following a line together with uh, Erdogan uh, and AK Party government in Turkey. So, yes, maybe behind the scenes he might be giving some messages or, or his, his consultants, his advisors, maybe they say something. But I don't think that it is a realistic thing to talk about an autonomous Turkish Cypriot voice uh, since uh, the election of Mr. Tatar, first of all. Secondly, the confidence building measures are useful if you are in a in a process. I mean, if you want to reach somewhere, if there is a vision in front of you, it's a step for something more. I don't see a, a common vision. I mean, there is no process. Even if there will be, let's say, an opening and in the hope that that would trigger some movement in the Cyprus talks, even for that there is, I don't see any, any preparations. Unless maybe there is something by the internationals, uh, by the US, by the EU, by the people who wants to shape the politics in the region. Maybe there is something behind the scenes, but I cannot put my finger on it. I wouldn't I mean, put my trust on the EU being behind any yeah. grand scheme. No, EU in the, the sense that maybe Americans are dragging them into some kind of a formula. Yeah, maybe, but I'm not sure that it would be something that has to do with these issues. I am sure of a possibility for uh, an American initiative or at least to some extent some interest in the issue but I'm not sure whether the issue of Famagusta is the one and whether the issue of, of the airport let's say uh, is is the thing to lure uh, the Turkish side into discussions but what I find most important regarding the this whole discussion about confidence building measures is the fact that there is in a sense, an admission by the government that there is a clear uh, shift in their approach. And uh, we saw an interview by the current uh, Foreign Affairs Minister, Mr. Kasulidis, in Kathimerini on the 13th of February, in which he openly stated that the government is moving from the policy of sanctions to the policy of confidence-building measures. Um, he, in his interview, he repeated many times the, the fact that there is a change in the ministry, change in the goals, change in the approach, change in the communications. And Wait, wait. I mean, <laughs> in the last one year, in every podcast, even before that, <laughs> We have been saying that this policy was wrong. We have been saying that alienating Turkey will not help anyone. And we have been saying that a small country like Cyprus should try its best to reach out to Turkish Cypriots to try to show that they are doing their best as a small country. And then no, it was falling on deaf ears. And now, suddenly, the administration decided that this policy doesn't work anymore. And then the entire establishment, foreign policy establishment, was built on that. And there is no change in the government. But just because of a change of a minister who resigned himself voluntarily because of inter-party problems, 
Now the government has dumped everything on his shoulders and decided that they are changing the course of the action well, and nobody saying anything on that, well, it, including the press and including the EU partners. Well, it's kind of mind-boggling if you think about it. Uh, the, <laughs> I remember when Mr. Borrell, the EU high representative, uh, visited Cyprus and from this podcast we were criticizing the government for totally neglecting not only the government but the European Union as well for totally neglecting the Turkish Cypriot community and the Turkish Cypriot side from the visit and if you remember back then it was uh, Mr. Akinci still in the uh, leadership of the Turkish Cypriot community and so back then when Mr. Burel visited Cyprus what did the Cypriot government opt to do? They put him on a helicopter and they uh, and they gave him a ride above the areas in which Turkey was drilling in the internationally recognized Cyprus economic zone. Because then the focus of the government was to get the sanctions out of the European Union. And we were openly criticizing this approach. And today you might be laughing about this whole change. But back then, that uh, criticism remained mostly on the sidelines and even today it has not reached the mainstream because nobody has kind of questioned the government, the governing party, if this whole policy was a policy followed by Mr. Christodoulidis and the government did not embrace it, why did Mr. Christodoulidis not, uh, was not fired earlier? And in fact, he was not even fired. He had he was forced to resign because of the conflict with Mr. Naofidou in DC. So, there is a clear shift in the strategy of the government, a shift that was brought about by the collapse of the strategy, because evidently, and as Mr. Kasulidis also uh, said in the interview himself, it brought us, uh, it brought Cyprus in, in conflict with its partners in the European Union without having any concrete result. And that policy is now abandoned, but there is no public discussion as to what brought about the collapse of the strategy, the change in the aims. I mean, how do we expect the community and how do we expect the Cypriot public to mature through um, situations when there is absolutely no public discussion when such a tectonic shift in policy takes place? And whenever somebody tried to criticize even question that policy, they were branded as a traitor. Yeah, that's another thing. And then had the government listened to even to this podcast, <laughs> probably, you know, they would be at a different place. Maybe they maybe Mr. Kasulidis is listening to it. I don't know. But joking aside, like uh, what kind of a democratic governance are, can we talk about if a, a new member um is deciding on the foreign policy based on some assumptions and then there is no involvement of the civil society of the press are uh, questioning this and asking this and now things it is okay you can change your foreign policy course but you know you you just cannot do it overnight with the change of a minister you you, you need to be responsible and uh, responsive and on this i think it is also worth mentioning that when it comes to Christodoulidis, of course, he had a blame. And as, as far as we were concerned, we, from this podcast, we mentioned numerous times that his policy was not working and that it was such a failure. But 
we also always stress that that was the government's line. What Christodoulidis is personally liable for is the fact that according to Mr. Kasoulidis, there was a problem with the foreign embassies or rather with some foreign embassies on the island and there was a problem between the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and these embassies. And uh, I think we have also numerous times referred to such issues. Um, If you remember, there was that problem with the note, verbal ones, just to give some examples of conflicts because everyone has been referring to this conflict with the embassies but nobody has really given any example one of the examples that we per- are personally aware of is the note verbal that was sent to a number of uh, European Union uh, embassies again, cautioning them against uh, attending the completion ceremonies of the various uh, monuments uh, that are uh, restored under the um, United Nations Development Program, and that that note verbal had caused a lot of 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 tension between the ministry and the foreign embassies. We are both you and I, Kemal. We know of various other instances as well, uh, right? <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, we were personally told by some um, diplomats uh, even before pandemic uh, that they, they were being harassed. Yeah. They were being harassed for for the things that an ambassador is supposed to do. Exactly. And we also know uh, complaints by uh, European Union uh, people who live on the island and that the, the way that they were treated in various uh, discussions with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs when it had to do with crossing, etc., that there were a lot you know, of complaints. Of course. When one would ask, like a, an ambassador of a big country, why should he or she would be offended or would be frightened with such threats. But I think no ambassador wants to have uh, the host country sending to his or her capital a complaint letter about uh, his or her activities. Especially about taking part in completion ceremonies of uh, the restoration of monuments that the European Union funded. <laughs> like It's like it, it, they are telling them, okay, you 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 gave your money, but do not dare take part in in the ceremony. In any case, for this, yes, we can talk about uh, Christodoulidis uh, personal personal liability. And actually, Mr. Kasoulidis was very very keen from the very first day of assuming office to stress that he is eager for a change in our relations with the foreign embassies, and he also hinted for a change in the relations with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs employees, which is also worthy of note in its own uh, merit. I think I think he, he does listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, we, we came to this topic because we were discussing the confidence building measures. You know, such initiatives work if there is something in them for everyone, especially for those who are the, in the driving seat, right? I understand why it's important for the Republic of Cyprus for a ministry because it's important for them to show that they are trying to do something, right? I mean, since Cram Montana, I think there have been many internationals who have been criticizing or at least uh, not putting the full bl- full blame on Turkey, criticizing even the Republic of Cyprus at times. And I think they just wanted to show that they're trying. Um, but for Turkey, I, I don't understand. Like, I'm thinking, what what is in it for Turkey if Erjan is open 
to international flights. I, I mean, exactly. That's that's the reason why. For me, this whole discussion about CBMs, it has most to do with the communications image that the government wants to change rather than with substance. And at the same time, it's also worth mentioning that when you have Tatar against you, it's very easy to appear as the one that wants a solution. Had Mr. Akhanji was sitting in that seat, he would go and say that this is for the benefit of my community and I would defend it if he really thought that. Exactly, but that's also the reason why these issues were not discussed when Mr. Akhanji was there, because if you are keen on CBMs, BMs, you, you might as well have put them forward when your interlocutor was one that you could trust. You could trust his intentions, and you could trust that he was not a puppet, um, a puppet of um, of Turkey, and uh, and 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 that's something that is worth putting in the whole picture. I also want to also mention that. Uh, If we were discussing these issues 10 or 15 years ago, maybe they would have some merit. But today we are much beyond the point in which Turkey would be even interested sort of to discuss this. But just a note, and to have this in mind, is that the discussion on CBMs brings Agel and Vigo opposite each other. And that's very, um, it's it's a point that I don't see mentioned uh, often, but it is worth bearing it in mind that every time there is a discussion on the Cyprus problem and every time there is discussion on confidence building measures, Akel and Vigo come in conflict because uh, Vigo is mostly against confidence building measures and Akel is um, in support of confidence building measures, even though in the particular one it is opposing it for technical reasons, but their mentality is totally different when it comes to CBMs. And I honestly believe that one of the reasons why it is worth, from the DC perspective, to have this discussion now opened on CBMs is because it also brings the dialogue between Agel and Vigo uh, regarding the presidential elections in a kind of a stalemate because it creates this image that how can these two powers sort of um, collaborate because it kind of stresses their differences. All my Akel contacts tell me that the Cyprus problem will be the first criteria when they're choosing their candidate. <laughs> Meaning, what I understand from it, somebody from DECO or somebody who would think like a, a DECO uh, party would probably be not their candidate. I mean, I understand that Akel wants to find somebody who would also get votes from the center right and you know center and and probably even some from the liberals and right i don't know but um i don't know how this will be possible because uh we had this negative tassos experience from the past and i hope they learn from from that but of course they don't want a decent second place in the elections either. So we'll see how things will be shaping up. I honestly think that Akel is in a very difficult position because it is they eagerly want the the DC rule to come to an end. And they are very afraid of not uh, making it to the second round if they choose to go on their own, let's say, with an independent that only them will support, let's say. Um, At the same time, I have been uh, following Mr. Papadopoulos, the Vigo leader, very closely lately. And honestly, I see no political opening towards Akel. I, I understand 
honestly, I understand the pressures of Akel. I also understand a lot the Akel followers that uh, support the collaboration with Vigo, but politically speaking, these two parties, as they are today, and we are very far away from 2003, uh, as they are today, I honestly don't see how they can collaborate. They disagree on the major issues. And at the same time, Papadopoulos is also doing something else. He's also constantly insisting on the collaboration with EDEC as well. And EDEC is an anti-federation party, uh, a party that during the last uh, um, uh, parliamentary elections was more... Uh, uh, was attacking more Akel rather than the governing party DC. And I honestly cannot see how politically Akel could in any way collaborate uh, with the VEG. I'm not even discussing it, but even with Vigo. But they are in this difficult position, as I said before, and uh, we wait to see. Uh, but they are they are to blame in a sense because they haven't managed to produce uh, a candidate all these years who would be standing out now as the candidate representing all that uh, progressive uh, Akel uh, claims to desire. Well, we'll see how things will be shaping up. Talking about local politics, Turkey Cypriots uh, haven't um, formed a coalition yet. The party who uh, got the most seats, 24 seats uh, out of 50, uh, UBP, um, wants to have a coalition with uh, uh, with a number that will be enough for them to govern because in the past inter-party feuds made some of the MPs to stop the entire mechanism so they want to have a comfortable majority in the parliament and uh, this is why they are now trying to set up a coalition with, uh, with a big number and JTP um, of course uh, the party that increased uh, its votes and, and seats left pro-solution JTP doesn't want to probably be partner to UBP and doesn't want to pay the price of the upcoming uh, economic um, costs that will be put on the water's shoulders. And uh, so then the UBP has few options, either with Kudret Özersay and Serdar Denktaş's former party DP, a three-party coalition. In this case, Kudret Özersay doesn't want to have a third party in the coalition, so it's all... <laughs> MS. So, Probably we'll so, be talking about a three-party coalition soon with DP, YDP and UBP, a right-wing coalition. So Kudret has gone from not wanting to collaborate with UBP ever to wanting to collaborate only with UBP, not with DP. Well, probably Kudret would want to co collaborate <laughs> with JTP as well, had their numbers would be enough to do so. But um, basically, Mr. Özersay pissed off everybody. I mean, in the past, out of blue, he decided to leave the four-party coalition because I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, he didn't want to talk to UBP. And then he's then formed a coalition with UBP and everything. So anyway, let's not get into these small things. At the end of the day, the Turkish Cypriots will need to have a coalition very soon, probably a right-wing coalition. 
And for our listeners, it's important for them to understand that it's a parliamentary system and it will be mm. the, the, the prime minister will be deciding on the politics as much as they could in, <laughs> he could in, 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 in such a situation at the moment. So um, this is basically the situation. But, you know, towards the end of our program, I want to say something else, which is the involvement of the internationals in Cyprus and in the solution of the Cyprus problem. If anybody listens to our <laughs> words, please do something ab- about the crossings. This is exasperated uh, voice. Please do something about the crossings. Hello, and- <laughs> is there anybody there? Do something about the bloody crossings. But- there are people waiting in the mm. queues for hours and hours on both directions and nobody is freaking, you know, moving a finger. Actually, I mean, it's, just, it's unbelievable. I think you just proved my analysis right that I did before when I said that the CBMs, are, the, the CBMs promoted now are more an issue of, uh, of communications rather than substance. Because if we had a, a government that was really interested in the in confidence building measures, but in true confidence building measures, then the uh, relations between the two communities, the contact uh, between the two communities would have been facilitated. And this is something that we have not seen. We've mentioned it numerous times on our podcast. It is at the very least ridiculous that a government wants to have its citizens suffer so much every single day simply for opting to live their lives across the whole of the island. At the same time, uh, the call for the ease in contact between the communities comes from the United Nations uh, Secretary General report as well, that also includes a number of of other uh, suggestions like revising the the school books, like changing the whole public rhetoric on the ground. There are a lot that could be done in order to build confidence on the ground. And any government that simply opts for the big ones, but ignores the smaller ones that will evidently uh, ameliorate the daily lives of its citizens, then it is not a genuine government. Historically, in the context of Cyprus problem, when we mention Cyprus uh, confidence building measures, we generally understand uh, the, you know, Cyprus problem related high politics decision making, including Varosha and, you know, airports and, you know, UN control under ports and things like that. But confidence building measures should aim at the people directly, not indirectly. It should be, you know, fixing the problems of the people. Okay, some people would argue about the the comfort, but I think it's important. It's important to make people see that they can live together, they can work together. The, you know, cooperation and unity will be good for them. It's important. It's important to touch to the crossings, health cooperation, economic cooperation, trade environment and why i asked the internationals to do something about uh, an issue that's something to do with the communities it's because first of all the green line is governed by the green line regulation it's an eu regulation the europeans should and could have a say in this because it regulates crossings of the people and the goods right and then having people waiting in the queues for you know, for long hours to just to move from one neighborhood of the same city to another, it doesn't make any sense. And 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 not only, 
I think it's it's ruining the environment because of the gas that's coming out of the cars. It's making people in the neighborhood of the crossings very unhappy. It's it's torturing people. I mean, you can bring some technological solutions even. I mean, if and then as if it's not enough. Before the pandemic, there were checks and controls um, from one side to another, and not you know, the opposite direction. Now we have checks and controls from both sides twice. I mean, it, it's insane. I think some, something needs to be done on this, but um, I honestly don't know how to go about uh, this anymore, to be honest, Kemal. I mean, for me, the temporary solution would be open more bloody crossings. <laughs> I mean, if you are... If you're complaining about illegal immigration, then increase the number of legal crossings. Make sure that there are no <laughs> illegal crossing points. And um, and very soon, it's going to be very hot. Imagine waiting in the car with the air condition working under the sun for, for, for an hour or two just because you want to go to your work or you just want to visit your friend or you just want to, you know... There are nowadays there are so many reasons to cross. We shouldn't be questioning the motivation for the people are crossing and this is good and we should help them to to cross more easily and open more crossing points, make sure that the procedures are less problematic and If the internationals want to help the Cypriots with the confidence-building measures, if they want to go and br- go out and brag that this is something that we've been doing, here is an option, here is an opportunity, and there's a legal and political ground for this, which is the Greenland Regulation. And civil society has been very vocal on this, at least some organizations that have been working on the Cyprus problem. Well, obviously, United Cyprus now is one, but we have numerous times mentioned these ideas as confidence-building measures, and really, when you to have confidence building measures you should also ask people that choose to live their lives on the whole island you should take their opinion into consideration before drafting it if you're genuine about building trust and confidence here's a message for you everybody <laughs> <laughs> to, to whom it may concern <laughs> anyway Kemal I think we could cut this part and name it our manifesto and disseminate it separately <laughs> I don't know <laughs> uh, but before we close let's uh, I would like your view on Okay, we will not get into the whole Russia, NATO, Ukraine thing, but I would just like your view on how Turkey has portrayed itself in this conflict, on the way it has chosen to work, and whether you you think that the perceptions of the West uh, towards Turkey uh, have been in any way impacted by the, um, the, the conflict that we see escalating between Russia and Ukraine? Well, recently, we know that Turkey has been regarded as an eccentric country, taking eccentric decisions, to say the least, or a headache in the region, creating problems, not cooperating with the neighbors or its own allies. Largely, Turkey has been regarded as a country that needed to be contained at least. But I think in this last crisis with Ukraine, Russian-Ukraine crisis, I think Turkey try to show that you know turkey has a deep tradition of being an important country in the region and despite its problematic foreign policy decisions i think turkey has kind of uh, tried at least to readjust its profile and showed itself as a trusted nato ally at a time when many european union partners 
were not uh, rising up to the challenge. And I think this is now showing that Turkey is, yes, is, a, is a, at the moment a, a, an eccentric country, but I think Turkey shouldn't be ignored. And Turkey maybe should be taken into consideration in a more friendly way. And this by the by the Western uh, allies. And this is not what I am saying. And this is what probably the policymakers in the Western capitals are saying. Well, I think that's uh, worth uh, noting it. And just to put into picture that Foreign Affairs uh, Minister of Cyprus, Mr. Kasolidis, has visited uh, the U.S. He has met with the U.S. Uh, Secretary of State. He has met with some old uh, <laughs> friends uh, from the U.S. State Department, like Victoria Nuland, Amos Hochstein, people that are very well aware of the Cyprus problem, very aware, well aware of the complexities, and very well aware of the energy dimension as well. So... I would put your assessment of how Turkey has portrayed itself in this uh, in this conflict in the wider picture of of the US shaping strategy in the region. We also have in this picture the the explicit uh, claim by the US that they support the 3 plus 1 collaboration between Cyprus, Greece, Israel and the US. And I would I would also include Turkey in this picture because it, it Based on your analysis as well, but on everything we know as well, it would seem unlikely that uh, the U.S. would be shaping a new picture of the region uh, without including Turkey in it as well. So that's just something to bear in mind when we analyze developments. And I think that uh, we have kind of covered <laughs> all that has happened in our time of absence, or at least the major ones. Well, it's been a long podcast and it needed to be, and it's good that we covered all those topics. And uh, I'm also happy to remind people uh, that on Island Talks podcast station, we now have um, other English language podcasts. If you are just following us through your podcast application, have a look on the other um, programs. Uh, we have really nice, good English language politics podcasts, a news podcast on islandtalks.fm. That that would, I think, uh, give everyone a, a good uh, a picture about uh, how things are shaping up in Cyprus. Thank you very much, Kemal. Thank you, Andrew Mahi, and thanks our listeners for uh, bearing up with us Thank with you. our <laughs> complaints. <analysis>. And <laughs> Thank you. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus, Island Talks, open, diverse, free.